Welcome to SimCast, a higher education simulation podcast. My name's Tony Jeremy. I'm an Associate Professor in Operating Department Practice and the Academic Lead for Simulation-Based Education at UEA Norwich. Hi everyone, my name's Lawrence Hill and I'm the Programme Lead for the Paramedic Science Degree Programme at the University of East Anglia and the Chair of our school's simulation group. So Lawrence, this is a new podcast uh, based on topics around simulation-based education, particularly looking at some of the challenges that people might face using simulation in higher education. Yeah, exactly. And we're basically just two enthusiastic simulation educators who want to share some of the good practice that, that we're hopefully doing, but also, you know, take people on a bit of a journey in terms of our development and learn things from people that are watching on um, along the way. And so this first episode is really an opportunity to help bring people up to speed with the journey so far. And then what we want to do longer term is bring people along with us on that journey. Yeah, I mean, we've called this um, SimCast, uh, we have the keys to the simulation centre, now what? Because that really typifies uh, and totally just establishes where we're at as a simulation centre. And we're hoping in future episodes to explore different aspects of simulation-based education, uh, with a particular focus on higher education. We're hoping that we'll have guests on in the future, and that might be academics in our own school, but hopefully... Uh, people from from wider afield as well as we start to explore different topics. Yeah, absolutely right. We want to use this as a space to to talk about where we're going, the, th the challenges that we've encountered, the great things that we've learned, the things that we develop. And we really want it to be an open forum and community for anyone who is interested in simulation, delivering simulation, participating in simulation, so that we can all get better together. So the kind of people that might be interested in this I think our learners, our students, who perhaps don't know some of the finer details of what happens behind the scenes, if you like, in their programme of study. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully we can offer a bit of an insight into the kind of backstage of, of the experience that they have in simulation. Uh, also fellow educators, so people involved in delivering simulation-based education in higher education, but also in, in the healthcare sector as well, because there's a lot of transferable skills and, and and topics that might come up yeah 100 percent. there must be thousands of us all kind of beavering away delivering simulation without any kind of common thread that potentially joins us all and simulation would be anywhere without the backbone and the technical support of, of so that all of the technical support that might be involved in your organization so again that a potential audience there? Yeah, the simulation technicians, the lab technicians, the people who, you know, do the unseen work that is crucial to the delivery of simulation. We want them to be involved and we want to hear from them too. So we, we're really keen to learn from people's experiences as well. So if a, if a topic comes up on the podcast and, and you've got a similar experience, please do leave a comment below uh, and, and share your experiences. Uh, whether it's similar, whether you've got something different and unique, we'd, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, and, and if this sounds like the kind of podcast that you'd be interested in, please do like and subscribe our podcast um, so that we can keep in touch with you with any of the future uh, videos that we're going to be producing. So in this episode, we're going to be discussing, we've got the keys to the Sim Centre now what? Yeah, now what exactly? We are on a bit of a journey. Um, and frankly, we would appreciate a little bit of company along the way. Um, you know, we'd, we'd love, as Tony said, to invite you along as a guest if you've been in a similar experience of kind of setting up a simulation centre or been involved in the early development of a simulation centre, or if you think that there are things that you can learn or that, that we can learn from you in terms of what you've done, we are very keen to hear from you.
But in terms of us, where we're at, we have a new simulation centre. Yeah, so we've been doing clinical simulation for a while in the School of Health Sciences here at UEA, Norwich. But we really were given a golden opportunity a couple of years massive, ago. Massive opportunity. When we had a, a pre-existing building, the Edith Cavell building, redeveloped into a simulation centre. So for those of you who don't know, I'll just give you a bit of background. Mm. The Edith Cavell building was a purpose-built building in 2006 for what was then the School of Nursing and Midwifery. And whilst it was purpose-built, it was purpose-built for generic healthcare education. Yeah, like more that. of a conventional kind of seminars and lectures. Yeah, so seminar spaces, uh, open-plan offices for academics. There were some skills labs, as they were known at the time. Two facilities which were quite small. They then got a, a kind of a mini restoration maybe seven or eight years ago. But in 2021, we were really lucky to get some funding from Health Education England to redevelop and reimagine how the whole building could be used for clinical skills and simulation. Yeah. And so we now have many, many more spaces where we can do clinical simulation. We've based them around kind of three key concepts because we're very mindful that it's not a purpose-built facility. And so we've had to kind of deal with the existing structure and, and, and reconfigure the rooms. But we've basically got environments that look and feel like real environments so some of those are clinically based like a ward setting or a high dependency or an operating theater or we've got the the, the, the cavill house and we've got a kind of mocked up kind of like sort of flat with yeah, a so bedroom so and more a bathroom a, a domestic care setting so again what we're trying to do with these environments is subscribe to all of the potential learners that we've got in those environments whether we've, that's the community nurses or the occupational therapists or the paramedics yeah and then we've got some what we call generic skill spaces. And these were, would be where you perhaps do your part task training, learning a skill in isolation, or perhaps some overfill where some of the other facilities are being used. And these are basically just like, you know, expanses of space, hard flooring, movable tables, so that they can be kind of multi-purpose and, and you know, multi-use. multi, multi -use. Yeah. And then finally, our last spaces are our debrief spaces. So they look and feel like a conventional seminar space, but more importantly, what's integrated through the whole of the building is a, an audio visual solution where we've got cameras in each of the simulation spaces and then we can live stream activity to these debrief spaces. So people watching can watch live remotely, but they can also be used for playback if needed to during a, a debrief process. Yeah, and, and what this is uh, going to enable us to do and what is, what is enabling us to do is to greatly involve more learners who are going to be observing because you know anyone that's done any simulation will appreciate doing it at scale particularly if you have tens or even hundreds of students on any given program scaling simulation gets really tricky really quickly yeah and um, yeah we so to, to again to give people a little bit of context some of our programs we are looking at over 200 learners in a in a cohort so that really does present a problem when a lot of the research suggests that sort of six to eight learners is, is optimal for, for kind of patient simulation scenarios and that kind of thing. So again, part of what we want to get sort of generate from this channel is is looking at some of those challenges we face in particular in higher education. Yeah, and how we're meeting some of those challenges, but also understanding how other people are meeting those challenges as well, because there'll be bags of fantastic practice out there that frankly we'd love to hear about. Um, in the comments or, you know, contacting us directly would be, would be fantastic. So we go back to the Sim Centre. So we get this funding to transform the Sim Centre. Now, crucially for me, and this is part, part of the, the problem that I guess we're facing, is the transformation happens 
at the tail end of the coronavirus pandemic. So the we got the, the all clear to do the building work in March 2021. And by the end of October 2021, the building work had been completed. And at the same time, we have people returning from work, from working at home from coronavirus. So they've got the same physical building, but it's got a completely different use. And and perhaps naively, we expected it to just work. Yeah, and people we, to just get it. We didn't know what we didn't know. And actually, it has been a bit of a bumpy transition. And, you know, there were lots of conversations about a loss of academic community. And there were, you know, very real concerns about, you know, the... the um, teams and about how teamly it would feel if you if one was kind of continued to work from home so just so just to, just to highlight we didn't just convert existing teaching spaces we also mm. had to convert academic office spaces into new teaching spaces so again it had a really big impact and effect on on everyone involved whether that was the learners or the academic staff and and, and, and it's it's fair to say that it, it was not universally welcomed and uh, and initially certainly but pedagogically needed i think which was a, a really bizarre trade-off i think mm. everyone recognized the importance of needing a, a large-scale simulation center for the amount of learners that we had but yeah the trade-off was you know the the office space that you used to have doesn't look exist anymore no so it's fair to say it was a bit bumpy yeah um to start with but we, we're kind of finding a bit of a rhythm now in terms of you know new workspaces and hot desking and and stuff like that um but you know like you say this was pedagogically needed we have you know dozens of well about a dozen pre-registration undergraduate programs we've got uh well each of those have got three years and each of those have got three years and then we have quite a, a fair number of uh of um, master's level pre-registration programs. Um, and in, in addition to that, it's quite a significant advanced practice and postgraduate taught component to, to the provision within the School of Health Sciences at UEA. And on top of that, we're a research intensive university. So we're talking about thousands and thousands of learners that we need to yeah. try and squeeze into this center. Let alone our ambitions to be a simulation center, a regional center of excellence, and to be much more externally facing and potentially having people using the facilities. So all of these things together, I think we we kind of dawned on us one afternoon during a meeting that this is really, really complex um, mm -hmm. and we can't just expect it to work. Yeah. And it was, I think, you know, there was, there was a, some mounting frustration actually that there were people within the system with competing demands. And I think what had started to happen as this sort of, we changed the setting, but not changed the system that, you know, there was a bit of tension and a bit of friction developing and you stumbled across the the idea of using complex systems theory to try and bring some some sort of sense to what yeah. was happening. It, it dawned on me that what we had was a systems-induced problem with human beings at the centre. And this is what we see often with patient safety and human factors. And I thought, do you know what? The shell model, which is has its origins in aviation, but is, is used in healthcare. So some people may, may have heard of it is perfect for understanding the complexity in this. Yeah, and and we, we're going to be coming back to the Shell model on multiple occasions and giving a, a much clearer kind of description of how we're employing this theory to to a good effect to to enable the, the, the simulation centre to run effectively. Because running a simulation centre is really hard. 
Um, and you will doubtless have had your own experiences of simulation itself being challenging. But if you are someone who is responsible for coordinating, delivering, designing simulation, you will fully appreciate just how complicated mm. it is and to do it at scale. Um, and that's kind of partly why we're setting this, this, this podcast up, because we think that there is a community out there that is not yet connected. Um, and we really want to hear from you. We'd love to hear about the challenges. Whack us a, whack us a comment uh, below, you know, talk to us about the challenges that you're facing and how you've overcome them. And together, I'm hoping we can really build something. So Shell, again... Oh, yeah, sorry. What is Shell? <laughs> I think we do need to explain yeah, it. Yeah, we do. Because it is, it, the, the, the language is very technical from an aviation point of view. But in essence, it breaks the complex areas into understandable kind of subdomains if you like so the s in shell stands for software and you can think about this like curriculum design policies procedures perhaps nmc or hcpc gmc guidance regulatory, regulatory stuff. stuff but also how you might plan out a session at a course level the timetabling behind it all of those kind of things that make the reality happen you've also got hardware so that's going to be kind of the kit and equipment provision and that's often what people think to as the as the default go-to with simulation and of course we need to be mindful that it's not all about the technology it's no. as much about the, the technique the environment which is our simulation center so <clears throat> big kind of green tick but in that yeah, box we're kind of lucky in that regard yeah. now but it's still an important moving part in consideration of how to run a simulation centre. Yeah, and the two L's are for liveware. And uh, what liveware means is people, essentially. And, and the original shell model puts the individual in the centre. And then it's inter the individual's interaction with other liveware. So again, we could be thinking about that in terms of the learners that we work with, other staff, whether that's academic staff or technical support, maybe even service users, actors, confederates, all of those kind of things. And f f for me, the, the challenges in terms of making this all work and understanding the complex parts was is the software and the liveware. They're, they're the areas that we perhaps need to focus on the most mm. to make it work. And these are probably the areas which traditionally are left to just work. And, and when they don't, we start scratching our head and, and not understanding why. And again, this is why this model is so useful for me. It's a visual representation. And once you get the analogies... It works really, really well. Yeah, 100%. And, and it has the added benefit of greatly increasing the transparency to everyone about what it is that's going on. Yeah, and, and what the model also does... And it gives does, a language. Yeah, it gives a language, but also what the model does, which I really like, is it embraces the complexity. Yeah. It says, look, do you know what? The, the, in the real world, all the edges don't meet, meet up. It's fuzzy. It's the real world is challenging. You know, your policy and procedure won't always work with the environment that you've got. And you need to be able to understand that to then understand just how complex the system is. Yeah, anyway, hundred percent. So, so much of what we do in in the in the simulation group in the, the School of Health Sciences at the University of East Anglia is we use the shell model as a backbone, essentially a foundation for building our capacity to do things. It just seems to work with everything. It, it doesn't does it? work, and 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 we're going to talk more about this in future videos about how it's influenced the structure of our simulation meetings, about how it's influencing our approach to planning and organising simulation ensuring stakeholder involvement you know it, it, that everyone is involved in the design and delivery of the simulation and it's also central to the, the the core of our simulation educators course that we've developed and recently started delivering 
It's also, Shell has also been useful for um, some of our externally facing diagnostic simulation activity with local industry as well. And we want to come back to all of these themes in future podcasts and tell you about how we've applied Shell and about hear about maybe how you could use it or things that you've done in similar ways at your institutions or in your experience. Yeah, it'd be great to hear what other people are doing and again, whether there are any parallels and I'm guessing there probably are quite a few. Yeah, absolutely. So we'd love to hear from you and hopefully we've given you just enough of a taster about what this this podcast is going to be about to make you feel like you do want to like and that you do want to subscribe it because we really do want to hear from you and we want to be able to share the good work and some of the, the work that perhaps wasn't so good uh, that we needed to develop in future. Yeah, join us on our journey. 100%. So thanks very much and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Bye for now. Thanks everyone. Goodbye.